right, well, good morning. It is great to be together this morning. Um, why don't we go ahead and just start off with some prayer. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, I just want to thank You for this time to be together. I thank You for the family that we have here. I thank You for Your ministry, Your church, Your Word, Your Holy Spirit. Father, I thank You uh, even for everything that Pat shared for the, the people who have impacted our lives apart from You, Jesus, and, and who have tried to do it in step with You. Lord, I am so uh, I am humbled to be able to be a minister of the Gospel, Father. I pray that I can do justice to Your Word, that I can bring it forth. Let me be an instrument of Your will and Your Holy Spirit this morning. I pray Your Spirit work powerfully on each of us. God, open our hearts and our minds to Your Word. Speak powerfully and be present with us in a perceptible way even, Father. Just in our hearts and in our minds as we read and hear Your Word preached. We love you. We give thanks and praise to you in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. Well, this morning you guys get a treat. Uh, the treat is, is that my wife is going to do some sharing for a little while, which is going to be awesome. So uh, I'm looking forward to that. I know she's going to do an amazing job. Uh, but if you have a Bible, turn over to Luke 15. And we've been going through the parables of Jesus. And I feel like you... In doing the parables of Jesus, we would be remiss if we didn't talk about the parable of the prodigal son. I feel like there's so much to be learned about our incredible father through the parable of the prodigal son, right? And, and we call it that. It's, it's the name we give it. You know, we could probably come up with some other name. Um, but I, I've titled this lesson for this morning, if you're taking notes. It's just Our Modern Family. Right? Our modern family. And because when we look at these scriptures, it's easy to think of them back then, but we want to make sure that we think about us now today. The Bible's not a dead book. It's a living, it's God's living word. It's powerful and effective. It doesn't die. It goes on to generation to generation to teach us and lead us in, in knowledge and truth of what God wills for us. Amen? Amen. And so, as we, we read this, I think the goal is to figure out and we look at the narrative that we see here. And, and there's three main characters in it, but we want to figure out kind of where our role is today. And, and you have the role of the younger son, right? The younger sibling. You have the father and you have the, younger, or you have the older sibling, the father and the younger sibling. And so we'll start off, we're going to talk about the younger, the younger sibling, right? The younger son. We're going to talk about the father a little bit. And we're going to talk about the older son. And I feel like I often think the older son gets pushed aside because we think of the younger son most often. Um, and I, my hope is to give them some equal time here. And even looking at what they have learned from the father. But today, as you think about this family... And in our family, you think of your life and you apply the scripture to yourself. I want to encourage you with two things. Consider your role in this family and, and in this scripture. Right? Which are you right now? And I say right now because sometimes in life we play the role of the younger son. And sometimes in life we play the role of the older son. And, and the goal is to grow up in maturity to be like the father, honestly. In the story. And so as we look at this, we're going to look in Luke 15, and we're going to start in verse 11. Uh, and so Jesus is here teaching, and he's been teaching about so much, of, uh, even before this, 
a parable of the lost sheep and you get the impression that he's talking about God's heart for his people. And in this, he brings it not just to sheep, but to children. And so pay attention as we, we look and think, I'm God's child, which role am I? And what do I learn about my father here? So in verse 11, Jesus, Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. And so he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. And so he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. And when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and he is alive. Again, he was lost and is found. And so they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older brother or the older son was in the field. And when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him, What's going on? Your brother has come home, he replied. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he, he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and frustrated and refused, or angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. You never gave me even a goat I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him? My son... The father said, You are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. You know, we look at this passage, and it's easy 
not always easy to kind of figure out where we are, right, at different points, and, and who we are. And then if we break it down, you know, the father, he has the two sons, and the, the younger son comes and he says, Dad, I want, I want my inheritance. And he's not dead, by the way. Inheritance you usually get when you're dead. He's like, just give it to me now. And then he takes it off, and he leaves, and he spends his money, and he, it says he squanders his wealth. And then it's at that point, after he's lost everything, that a severe famine comes on the land. And, and putting it into perspective a little bit, we don't know famine. Like, like, like systemic, like real famine. I mean, some of us may know what it is to be really hungry, right? But we don't know what it means to see an entire city, an entire like, state, an entire country in famine, right? What was it, in, in uh, the 1940s, was it World War II? I think the Russians, they had tens of thousands of people died because of famine. They couldn't, get, they couldn't get any food into the country. People were dying of starvation, right? We've, I don't know if we have ever really, not in living memory, really any of us know what it is to have real famine, to be hungry like this. But this boy had nothing. He had no money left to his name. And then he's, he's experiencing this famine in this land far from home. And so then, what we have is this story of he comes to his senses, he realizes, what am I doing? I had plenty at home, and my father was a good man and provided even for his servants. I, should, I need to go back there. Maybe he'll take me back. And the reality is, it wasn't maybe he'll take me back. It was, maybe he'll take me back as a servant. His father just runs out and, and puts his arms around him. And, and you've got to think about what this looked like for this young man. He's coming home. He's, been, he's literally been starving. I mean, he says, I'm starving to death in a land of famine. What do his clothes look like? Right? He's sold everything of value. I, I often wonder. What, he's walking down the street. He has no shoes on. Once wealthy, he now comes home poor. Probably emaciated, skinny as all get out. And what does his father see? He sees his son and he just sees his need and he wraps his arms around him and he's so glad that he's home. I've, I've missed you. I've, I've concerned for you. I've wondered where you've been because I knew you were far off. Wondering what it is for God to love his kids is certainly something I've learned more. And so when we look at this lesson, that this younger son is learning from this experience and in his time and what do we learn from him I think he the lesson we can learn from this younger son is let's even the title of this point is don't lose sight of what you have don't lose sight of what you have you know those who leave God, those who are young, even who've never known God, they have much wealth that God has given them. Life is a is is a factor of wealth. Even if you you really break it down, the very minimal thing you have is life, and God has given that an opportunity and chance and so many things. But here, 
We can squander gifts and talents and so many things in different ways and not realize the, the good things God has given us. And sometimes it's not to the point that we have squandered our relationships and we've squandered our gifts and our talents, we've squandered our time, we've squandered our life. Sometimes that we realize, oh my goodness, I've wasted so much. I, and we find that we need God. We need our Father. We want to go back to Him. But in all of this, what we see is that God wants to give us great things in His family. He's ready. He's ready to bring you back. All it takes is somebody going, I need to come to my senses because I've got it so good in my father's house. It's so good at home with dad. And, and, and just thinking. And so I guess my, my first thought is, is just think where you're at right now. Because maybe it's time to go, I need to come to my senses and just humble out and come home. Right? Because God's like, I want to put a ring on your finger, a robe on your back, some sandals on your feet, and then I want to make you some awesome barbecue. Right? I want to feed you well. And in all of this, I look at it and go, but we've got to humble ourselves. And we've got to be able to see what we've got in our Father, how good it is. To not lose sight of what we have. And so what I want to do is, is give Kristen an opportunity and come up and share on really about how she can kind of connect with the younger son. And, and at different points it's connected with the older. But uh, to come up and share about how she's connected with this scripture at different times and share a bit of her own story. Um, good morning, everybody. Uh, thank you so much for the opportunity to share a little bit of my journey kind of in and, and out of the Father's house. Um, I love this parable, the parable of the prodigal son, because it really helps put God's love, which can be really hard for me to connect with, um, because it's so big and it's kind of out there, and sometimes I wish I could just get a physical hug from him, I really look forward to the day that that happens, but I feel like it helps put God's love, which can be hard for me to grasp, in such real, tangible terms, in this real life um, example in this parable, so... In the beginning of my walk with God, um, I could relate in some ways more with the older son. Because I grew up in the church, so in a sense, I spent a lot of time in the father's house. Uh, And it was easy for me to be self-righteous about it. Um, As I studied the Bible as a teen, it took me quite a while to see my need for God. I knew all the right answers. And in most people's eyes, including my own, probably especially my own, I had it all together. (laughs) I was a straight-A student and a varsity athlete. And it took studying the Bible, um, sitting down with some teen workers for over a year and a half, I believe, um, before I really was able to connect with my need for God. Um, I spent the summer before I, I, I finally had this breakthrough, uh, just praying and fasting, um, and it really took that to get through my pride and self-reliance. Um, There's just these thick walls. Um, that were just keeping me from really seeing my need for God. Um, And I also uh, really had some secret stuff, particularly a relationship with a guy at school that I was keeping hidden. I didn't want to tell anybody about. Um, I was trying to kind of keep on the down low and take care of on my own. Um, But uh, I decided that I really did want to make Jesus Lord of my life and was baptized on August 28, 2005. Um, So... 12 years ago almost, um, the last day of summer before my sophomore year of high school. And spiritually speaking, my sophomore year went great. Um, Next year went well also. 
But my senior year, like the younger son, um, I let the appeal of the things of the world overrun my desire to stay close to God. And I ended up in situations that I never thought I would find myself in. Slowly, school became more important to me than God. I started skipping more and more of my you know, times to connect with him uh, in the mornings, my quiet time, so that I could sleep in after late nights of study uh, and practice. Without God filling the hole in my heart, I started needing more and more, um, looking to other ways to feel fulfilled. So when academic and extracurricular success wasn't enough, I began to get emotionally involved with a guy at school. Um, small compromises grew into bigger and bigger ones, just little step by little step. Hanging out one-on-one uh, with that guy snowballed into impurity. Just attending parties, insisting I wouldn't drink, snowballed into getting extremely drunk um, and regularly getting high. Um, there are even times when I could have been arrested or possibly even died uh, because I drove drunk or, or high just because I needed the thrill of pushing the envelope. I was still going to church and devotionals every week, but I had this complete double life. And none of it left me feeling fulfilled. I kept you know, searching for more and more, but like the sun, I was starving to death. My journey to real repentance took months. I wish I had had the courage and conviction to just cut it all off and allow myself to once again be transformed by the blood of Christ and the Holy Spirit. And maybe I could have if I had reached out to other disciples for help. Um, but I really feared you know, responses of disappointment. Um, responses of maybe even judgment and felt like I needed to prove that I was good before I could truly be open. Um, I also wasn't so sure what God thought of me anymore. So I tried to change on my own strength. I decided I'd still drink, but just with close friends instead of at wild parties. I was trying to reel it in a little. I'd smoke, just not marijuana because it was illegal. I'd stop swearing. So I felt a little better about myself for a while, like I'd changed and gotten things under control. But eventually the guilt caught up to me and I couldn't believe how far I had fallen. I came to my senses and finally got open with my team leader about it all, looking for help. Not wanting to appear weak, I waited until I felt like I had pulled it together even more for a month or two before filling my parents in. But every once in a while, at special occasions like prom, I was still totally giving into sin. And each time I did that, I told myself that it was just an exception, um, it was a one-time thing, and I didn't tell anybody. I kept it hidden, not wanting to face the truth that while I had started to change some, I still wasn't free. I still wasn't all the way back uh, in my father's arms. The following summer went well for me. Removed from the pressures of high school, after I graduated, I was getting back on my feet with my walk with God. You know, I was, I was making the trek back to his house. But a wake-up call happened when I went on a two-week volunteer trip uh, to Indonesia with a program we have called Hope Youth Corps. On the way there, I had several layover flights in countries where the drinking age was 18, and being 18, I took full advantage of it. Um, This is so funny to talk about, because I just cannot imagine doing this. But this is just how far just the deceitfulness of sin and self-reliance got me from God. So I took full advantage of the low drinking age. It's legal, I told myself, but the first drink led to drinking several drinks on both flights and even buying a whiskey in the airport in between. Uh, I thought I had changed, but here I was trying to get drunk in the middle of the afternoon on the way to a missions trip to serve the poor and to serve God. Hmm. I knew that deep down I was still out out of control. I was still enslaved to my sin, even though 
on the outside. I was trying to look like I had it all together. On the trip, I really connected with a girl named Alana, who I met. And one day, we ended up talking for hours about our walks with God and struggles. And I got truly, completely open with her about everything, including the plane ride there um, for the first time. After thinking about it and really hearing me out and listening to me, she said, You know, Kristen, you've, you've tried to overcome this stuff on your own strength. You've gone to your discipler. You've even gone to your parents. But you never went back to God or his word. And she was totally right. I hadn't. I wasn't back in his arms because in my pride I was keeping myself at arm's length from him, waiting until I saw myself as good enough for him. At any point I could have humbled out and finally acknowledged my true need for him and he would have accepted me back completely. But I was so focused on myself and this game of worthiness and penance that I totally missed the point. That God is my loving father. That I was still his daughter, no matter how far off I had wandered. That his love and Jesus' loving sacrifice were enough to cover over everything I had done. I thought that he was looking at me disapprovingly with crossed arms and a tapping foot. But in reality, he was scanning the horizon for me the whole time with open arms, ready to rejoice in our reunion. The next day, after the conversation with Alana, I went through and wrote out every scripture in the entire Bible I could find about drinking and the other things that I had done, and that was the final breakthrough that I needed. I felt so humbled, and I could see so clearly that where I had fallen to was the result of self-reliance, not seeing the incredible value of being safe at home with God, relying on and trusting in His guidance instead of my own. The transformation was incredible. Whereas on the trip down, I had done everything I could <laughs> to get a drink. At the first sight of the drinks card on the plane, my first re- my reaction was, ugh, like, I don't want that. You know, I couldn't believe it. I, was, I surprised myself at my reaction. Uh, my heart was finally back to that soft place where it had been when I first became a disciple. And looking back at that time, I'm, I'm grateful for the consequences of my sin that God let me experience because they directed me back to him. Even though in the moment I hated it and just wanted to have fun and do what I wanted and not have to worry about all that, I now see that even in those low points and those consequences that I kept trying to buck, God was still fighting for me and waiting for me. And so today I can still struggle with self-reliance and I can often feel like I need to prove myself before I'm good enough for God's love. But every time I come back to this parable, it cuts through all of that and reminds me of what a loving, patient, perseverant father he is. So thank you for letting me share. Amen. That was a treat. Um, i got to like not be emotional now. Uh, you know, <clears throat> it is funny what God's word will do and how it changes you. And I think even... Now, to this day, it's funny to think of Kristen buying a whiskey because, like, if she tastes my beer, she's like, oh, you know, uh, any, anything like that. It's just she's so different from, from that. And I, I hear that, and I just think, I don't know who that is. But isn't that what God has done, really, to all of us yeah. at different times? I mean, how he's, you clothed us and, and changed us into somebody very, very different. Um, 
You know, as I, as I look at this, though, that's why we can't lose sight of what we have in our Father's house. We can't lose sight of how good it is to be with, with Dad. Right? But sometimes we can, and, and we need those consequences, and we need to be hungry for a while, and we need to experience those things so that we can come back and realize, wow, this is where I need to be. This is so good, and that is so very empty. Right? But I, I look at this and I go, so that's the younger son, right? And, and I want to just talk a little bit, just for a moment, about the father, right? And the father's concern for his children. And, and when I think of this, this father waiting to welcome his child home, I think of what he must have felt when his son asked, right, for his inheritance, and then the son chose to leave and go off to a far-off country. Now, I think that it's very likely the father knew at least the direction that his son would have gone. I think it's, it's, it's definitely something that's very conceivable to me, to think that this father would have known kind of where his son went. And that would be all the more terrifying for me sometimes, if I were the father. Because if you found out that there was a famine in the land where your child was, as a parent, you would be terrified, maybe, is a good word. I mean, like you would be so on edge about worry about your child and wanting them and, and wanting to know if they were safe and, and wanting to make sure they're okay. You know, I look at that and thinking about how if they were hungry and longing for food. You know, I, like sometimes... It, the other night I was putting James to bed, right? And he's eating some crackers and, you know, we have a little jar and he's got a little rocket crackers he's eating and he does, many of you have seen it, but he knows the more sign and so he's like, more, more, you know, and you give him some more. And then, you know, he eats all of the rocket crackers and then I think he likes just playing with the jar, but he kept reaching in the jar looking for more and it's empty. And then he's like looking at his hand and then he's just licking his hand. And I'm like... I'm like, do I, do I need to feed him some more? You know, I'm like, he's had a good amount of food. Like, is he going to be... And he was okay, you know, but he just was part of it. I think he was playing. But even that thought of like, has he had enough? Has he, is, is he had enough? Like, is he okay? Like, does he need any more food? There was a moment of just that, that concern of wanting to make sure he's okay. You know, and, and, and I think... And these are things where if you don't have kids, amen, um, I always... It's hard to relate and understand what it's like to be a parent now that I know and I heard for all those years and it feels so cliche to say. But it's one of those things that you don't know fully until you're there. But you can know it to an extent if you have nieces or nephews or, or younger ch- children that you really, really love yourself. You want to make sure they're okay. But there are moments with, with my son James where I worry about him if I'm not home. Even if he's at home in his room, there are nights where I will go in, I will go into his room when he's asleep, and I will lay down on the floor next to his crib, and I will just watch him sleep and breathe. And I'll just lay there in the dark for a little while. Because I just want to know that he's safe and at home. And he's good. And he's there with me, and I want to be there with him. You know, the other night I went in, and I opened his door, and, you know, he woke up, and I was like, Stood still, didn't want to wake him up, didn't want to make him cry, but 
I heard him lift his head and kind of like I had a crack in the door and he, he saw it and then he got up and he's just standing there you know at the edge of his crib just looking at the door and I'm like ah, okay I'll just go in you know for just a minute and then I ended up just sitting there with him for like 10 minutes just holding my son because I love him and I just want him to be home and safe with me and I can't imagine what it would have felt like for the Father. And I think about what does God feel like when we're not with Him. Right? And when we are with Him, what joy that brings Him. And, and when we're not there, how much He misses us. And so I just, I go and I say this. God's concern, a father's concern for his child, God's love for you is beyond anything even I think we parents can understand. Let alone not being a parent. God's love for you is so great. Right? And His compassion and His empathy and His concern. These are powerful, powerful emotions. Then, honestly, empathy and compassion are the emotions that really help change the world. Away from sin. Because the thing is, is if you removed empathy and compassion and mercy from our world, this would be a very... It is a very dark and very ugly and very mean place without those things. And we do see some of that. We do see a lot of that in our world. Which makes it all the more important that we learn this lesson from our Father. Of being compassionate and merciful. And so that's, that's my second point. The elder son's lesson, the older sibling's lesson, what his is, the question I'd put with it is, do you see the famine? Do you see the famine? Now the father, when he thought of his son, maybe knew where he was, sort of. Far away in a land where there was a famine, there was concern. And when his son comes home, he ran to him, put his arms around him, ready to feed him. He, he had the... I mean, what this would have meant. Right? But the older brother comes in from the field, and what does he do? Right? What do we see he does? He comes in, he grabs a servant. What's going on? Your brother's home. That brother doesn't go, he's home, you know, and like run inside and give his brother a big hug. No, 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 no. He goes, he's what? What's going on? And the thing that strikes me is, yes, the brother has his own pride. He's thinking of himself. He's, he's feeling a lot right there. And, and I can actually understand a little bit of the disrespect for the father who he served, he's loved, and he's done this. And, and then, but he's mad at the father. Not as much at the brother. And, and you have this weird emotional thing that happens there. But the one thing that I think that's lacking, that this older brother wasn't doing, is he wasn't thinking with empathy or compassion. Because if the father might have known, it's likely the brother could have known. And in him thinking, my brother is in a land where there's famine. He could be starving to death and dying. And he seems to know something. He knew that he went and squandered his wealth with prostitutes. So he had some sort of news of the guy. And, and so I just think, but was there any compassion? Or was it, well, he deserved what he got. Any of us ever been guilty of feeling that way? I definitely have. You know, well, that's just the consequence of their action, and they just deserve to be 
you know, feel that way or they deserve that, that punishment and, and those sort of things. But he missed the famine. His brother's spiritual need. He lacked the empathy of what was necessary in that land. And I can relate to that. And I can, I can consider, do I see the famine in the lives of my brothers and sisters? Even in this church. Do, and, and I'd ask you, this is a question we can all ask ourselves. Do we see the famine? And are we ready to, to go and run to each other? To, to bring what's needed? To, to help clothe each other? Maybe it's, maybe it's a spiritual famine. Where we see that a brother or sister is spiritually just dying and in need. And we need to go and run to them and, and clothe them again with Christ. Wash them with the Word. Like, bring the Scriptures to them and just nourish them with God's Word. I think that's going on. I think we should be concerned when we see that famine. But it takes mercy and it takes compassion. Right? It takes empathy. We've got to consider where they are. And then be eager, like the Father, to run to them. This is a real need when we think of it. But it's not just in the congregation. This is in our world. This is in our city and in our jobs, with our friends and in our neighborhoods. And we think it, it's not about... Let's not, let's not confuse this with, hey, we've got to take and, and save these souls. And yes, they need to be saved. We want them to be spiritually fed and nourished. But we want to love them with compassion. Yeah. And that's why we believe those things. Right? But then the emotional famine do we see. Right? Do we, the older brother didn't see maybe how much his, his, how humbled, how hurting, what the experience of the younger brother was, right? And that famine that they went through. And I just look at it and I go, and I ask myself, and I ask us the question, do we see the famine around us? Now God wants to feed us. And if you're hungry, go to the Father. He wants to wrap His arms around you Put a robe on you, put a ring on your finger, put some sandals on your feet, and feed you really well. Right? But the lesson we can learn is to be like the Father. To grow in maturity to be like Him. Right? And, and the one who sticks with the Father, the older son, he says, everything I have is yours. That means everything we have with, with God is, is ours as well. We have the resources all of, all of the, the love, the, the power of God's Holy Spirit in His Scriptures, those are yours. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. I mean, when you think about that, that's a powerful, powerful idea. One that we need to be ready to embrace. But to do that, and to tap into that, we must have empathy and compassion and mercy. We've got to be able to see the famine in the lives of the people around us. So what do we do with this? You know, we can rejoice in the fact that God first represents... This Father represents our God. Who's so ready to bring us and and welcome us home and put His arms around us. And we don't have to... You know, I appreciate so much everything Kristen shared. She didn't have to get to this a month or two months to be in the right place. What she needed was just to humble herself. And when she did, she saw such a great experience. But that's so true of all of us. 
that our Father doesn't want us to, to work everything, to have the right image, that the Son didn't need to buy a new shirt before He came home. He didn't need to do anything other than to just come home. And that's what God wants from us. That's who our Father is. So if you feel like that's you, if you need to get open and you need to get in your Word and you just need help, I pray that we can be the older, the mature, older brothers or sisters to help do that for each other. Right? That, that we have that here. And I know we have that here. But it takes the humility and the courage. It takes courage to be that son that comes home. And we've got to do that. You know, and so as the younger son, let's trust that God's not going to reject us. As the older brother, let's be sure to have empathy and not reject our little brothers and sisters. Amen? Not, not neglect those. And we train, we switch points at different times. I've been the younger brother and I've been the older brother. And I've had the, the negative feelings and I've had the deep need and famine and wanting to be with God and all of that. So we change. And let's hope that we are, as Jesus said, you know, let's love each other as we want to be loved. Like, let's do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Giving each other the opportunity. Loving each other. Let's be full of humility. The older brother was blinded by pride and resentment while the father was blinded by love and compassion. I pray, church, that we can learn to be blinded by love and compassion for one another, for the world, for our friends, for our family, for the neighbors, for the strangers that walk down the street, people very different from us. I pray that we can be blinded by compassion and love because that will change this city, that will change this world. But let's just start in the simple things. We don't need to think about the whole thing of the whole city being one. Let's think about loving the people we just come in contact every day. Amen? Amen? Amen. Let's think about doing that, finding a way, finding the opportunities. Let's make some decisions to be the people as we learn to be a mature, older brothers and sisters and be like our Father. Amen? Amen. Amen.